Hello and welcome to Afternoonified. The podcast that's like a scold's bridal for your ears. I'm Sarah. I'm Emily. And I have no idea what you're talking about, but I am pretty sure you just insulted your own podcast. Look, I never claimed to be great at metaphors. That was a simile. Well... said this before but i feel every time i write a new cold up and i'm like that's it that's the dumbest one i'll ever write <laughs> that's the bottom happens every well like four weeks i will probably cut this out but my next episode is about chocolate so you can bet your sweet ass that it's gonna be a willy wonka parody <laughs> oh dear so oompa loompa doopity doo i was gonna go with the candy man <sighs> i feel like one of those will be more recognizable i had candy man to the Women in Bad Situations Film Festival. That's a good one. Yeah. The- I mean, aren't most horror movies women in bad situations? <laughs> it's true. It's true. Even I mean, there's a reason, like, that's the genre. Well, even ones that have been, like, remade, like, when they remade Evil Dead, it, it was a, a man in a bad situation, but they were like, no, this one's going to be about a lady, which I actually didn't mind. Yeah. Candyman goes both ways, though, because if you watch the original, it is about a lady in a bad situation, but if you watch... Oh, yeah, the remake's about a guy in a bad situation, right? No, it's actually... Well, yes, but there's also a lady heavily involved, and the remake is actually oh, gotcha. fucking fantastic. Um, Noted. I will add it, that to my list. Uh, the the original's good. It is a little dated, but, you know, it's what you get for a movie made in the 80s. Um, <laughs> Look, none of the movies made in the 80s were good. Uh, wasn't I, I just like, Jones made in the 80s? I was like, I just conjured like 800 angry emails into our inbox. I can name a lot of movies made in the 80s that were good. <laughs> Maybe not like culturally sensitive, but <laughs> you can't win them all. Nothing in the 80s is what I would consider culturally sensitive. Yeah. It's, it's the Ronald Reagan era. Like that shit trickles down, yo. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> No matter what you describe, it's still going to be better than hearing that joke. So that's true. Uh, today we are talking about medieval torture devices, and I'm going to be upfront. It's really about how most medieval torture devices, as we know them, are um, fake. But that should make you feel better knowing that we didn't actually do that shit to people. You'd think. We'll have that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> that was a very NPR, like... I'm going to cite my sources real quick um, before I forget, because I've done that. Um, big hat tip to Medievalist.net and Tales of Time Forgotten, which are both writers who have done like very good work in looking into this particular topic. Uh, the BBC also has similar article, Live Science Wikipedia for some extra info. And You're Wrong About did an episode similar to this like a year ago. That's kind of like directly the inspiration for me doing this. So shout out to them as well. Uh, lastly, a content warning, um, even though most of the torture devices we'll be talking about in this episode are, as I mentioned, fake, we will be discussing torture as a concept. So it's another, and a series of very upsetting episodes from Sarah. Don't worry, the the next mini and then the episode after that are going to be fine. Yeah, totally great. Well, actually, whenever I do a food history episode, there's inevitable racism, but... (laughs) Yeah, well, that's most subjects, to be honest. (laughs) 
So on today's episode of Sarah Roots, Everybody's Fun, we are going to look at uh, five supposedly medieval torture devices. Wait, did you do this as a listicle? Sort of. We're going to sort them into three categories. So we have not medieval, not torture, and entirely made up. Not devices. (laughs) Yeah, essentially not devices. They were not things. Uh, so, okay, so before we get too far into this whole shebang, we should establish what actually constitutes medieval, you know, knights yeah. and castles and Merlin and all that. <laughs> Specifically the time period that the very real person Merlin. <laughs> Historical figure Merlin. Uh, so the general consensus among historians, and, you know, historians generally don't agree on anything, so, you know. Never, literally never sort of consensus is that the time period most often referred to as the Middle Ages begins with the fall of the Western Roman Empire in 476 AD and lasts until the late 15th century, which is when we kind of get more into like the Renaissance, Age of Discovery, kind of Christopher Columbus. Wait, the medieval period is like a thousand years. Yes. And it could actually be further partitioned out because then you have like the early Middle Ages, which is like 500 to 1000. High Middle Ages, which is like 1,000 to 1,300, and Late Middle Ages, which is 1,300 to about 1,500. But again, there's like some overlap there. And these are all fairly arbitrary as far as I can tell. I feel like I just watched something that took place in like the 500s or... Oh, the Northmen. I just watched the Northmen. Northmen, technically medieval. It's a lot of things. And apparently it's one of the most accurate Viking movies ever made because of course it is. I, I would imagine so. I feel like Robert Eggers does his research. He's a big nerd, yeah. Yeah, that that too. Mostly that. <laughs> have you ever seen a picture of him? I feel like I definitely have, and it was not what I was expecting, but I gotta look it up again. Him and Ari Aster both look oh my like, God. like walking wedgies. Like- he looks like a Mumford. <laughs> He's a Mumford and Sons. Yeah, all of those like really intense directors uh, just look like the biggest doughy nerds. And I say that with love because like I, I love that kind of, you know, they're not gang goth kid situation. Yeah, pretty much. God, who's the other one? <laughs> um, the guy that directed Annihilation and oh, Ex Machina. Alex Garland. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Total dweeb. Alex Garland looks like he has a show on NPR. Again, this is with love. Uh, anyway, yeah. B- b- just be aware of the men who look like that. They have some weird ideas. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, doesn't that describe most men? Be aware of men. Sometimes they have ideas. I think that was the whole plot of Barbarian. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, kind of. <laughs> I mean, isn't that the plot of most horror movies? <laughs> men? It's men. definitely the plot of men. It is indeed the plot of men. <laughs> Medieval torture, you say. So, medieval period sorry I'd- yeah we haven't even gotten to the torture yet because we have again being been derailed but of course like you have to establish when the medieval time is um because i mean it's important especially when you start talking about our first historical medieval torture device the brazen bull which is often included on lists of medieval torture devices despite being uh created sometime in the sixth century bc even um that's assuming it like ever existed at all <laughs> Oh, great. It's going to be one of these episodes. (laughs) So it's really in two categories, if you think about it. Uh, So the brazen bull, if you've never heard of it, was a massive hollow statue of a bronze bull with a door in its side. So the idea was that you place someone inside uh, and then you'd build a nice little fire right underneath the statue. And then you just keep heating it up until the person inside essentially roasted to death. 
That sounds like some Bible shit. Very much Bible shit, which, I mean, does fit for the time period. I mean, it's pre-Bible, pre the good part of the Bible. Really? Uh, BC. Oh. Before Christ. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) It's like, when did the Bible come out? (laughs) You know, Bible. Uh, The really neat part, I guess, if you can call it neat about the brazen bull, was that it was supposedly built in such a way that, like, the screams of the person cooking inside it would be funneled through some sort of, like, acoustic apparatus and make it sound like the bull itself was bellowing. Uh, which is pretty hardcore. That's how I want mid, like wanted Midsummer to end. <laughs> <laughs> Just it is very Midsummer if you think about it. Uh, so the bull, if it ever did exist, uh, was created sometime between 570 and 554 BC by Perillus of Athens, uh, who made it as a gift to the Greek tyrant Phalaris of Acragas. And if you believe the legends, Phalaris would give Perillos the honor of being the first person roasted inside his own creation. Phalaris of Acragus? It does sound very Dune. I, These are real people that existed, I guess. I've never heard of any of them outside of this legend. Yeah, I think he was a member of House Harkonnen. Yep. I could also be pronouncing every single one of those words wrong, but, you know. Well, theoretically, no one really knows how to pronounce them. Yeah. Uh, If you notice, I'm hedging a bit and not just in my pronunciation of the names. Um, It's because we don't actually have any physical evidence that anything like the Brazen Bull ever existed. Uh, And the first mention of it in the written record comes a full generation after Phalaris's death. So it's basically rumor. Like, oh, I heard this guy did this thing. Weird rumor. Yeah. Uh, In fact, it isn't even until the first century BC, so like 400 years after the fact, that we get a full-length detailed account of the legend, uh, and there's no evidence written or otherwise that anything like it was used during the Middle Ages. So if it did exist, it would not count. (laughs) You're going to notice this becoming a trend. (laughs) It just... Ancient history drives me insane. How so? It is just a bunch of nerds going... (laughs) But possibly. But, but maybe. I heard this thing. Well, I heard. I don't, I can't remember which of the sources. I feel like it was Tales of Time Forgotten, the, that that blog I mentioned. They're basically saying, like, so much of this is just people saying, like, well, we actually never, we don't have any written evidence of this until this year. But certainly it was, it, it was probably just used during the Middle Ages, because doesn't that seem like their thing? That's basically the theme of the entire episode is people assume. <laughs> and that's never gotten us into trouble before. Not, never once. So well, in a similar, I hate it. <laughs> it's not going to get better. I, I, I have kind of ranked these in like least egregious to like most egregious. They're all kind of varying levels of egregious. So being cooked inside a big statue is, like, low tier for you? No, no. I mean, like, in terms of uh, historical accuracy, or lack thereof. Um, But there are, in fact, some pretty bad ones coming up, so also that. Great, 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 great. Uh, So in a similar vein to the Brazen Bull, we have the Rack. Um, a device which many would probably consider to be like quintessentially medieval. Can like, can you picture a medieval torture dungeon without a rack in it somewhere? Well, no, it's it's kind of like a good coffee table. Yeah, exactly. Pulls the room together. 
Uh, so if you haven't heard of the rack, it is one of the more famous medieval torture devices, as I said. Uh, it, it was a device consisting of a rectangular frame with rollers at one or both ends. Victims would be chained to one end by their ankles uh, and the other by their wrists. And then using a system of, you know, pulleys and levers, the rollers would gradually be pulled in both directions over the course of the interrogation, which... As she do. was It was unpleasant. It basically pulled all your joints out. <laughs> it pulled all your joints out. Great. Uh, remain on the rack long enough, and uh, yeah, they would dislocate and separate entirely. Are you telling so me this one isn't real? So here's the thing. We do know that the rack existed. It okay. is a thing. Uh, it does date back much earlier to than medieval times. Like, we're not entirely sure when it originated. We do know the Greeks used it. Um, primarily as a way to torture enslaved people and other, like, non-citizens. Um, and also occasionally in special cases, like the arsonist who burned down the Temple of Artemis. Yeah, fuck them. It's a crossover. <laughs> I thought you were going to be like, and also ancient chiropractors used it to realign spines. No, they were not that creative. Uh, we also know it was used on early Christian martyrs like St. Vincent in, like, 304 AD. Um, so, again... Not medieval, too early for that. We do have some references to the rack being used during Middle Ages, but it wasn't quite as popular as we think it is, or think it was. Um, and in fact, it was probably used more as like a threat to persuade people into confessing, like rather than an active method of torture. Like you wouldn't be put on the rack; they would just like have the rack there and like point at it. Do we know why torture, like weird torture, is so heavily associated with? medieval times we'll get into that a little bit at the end seems like a a weird a weird like thing to be famous for i think a lot of it is just publicity that too Uh, uh so it wasn't until the middle ages were already on the way on their way out that the rack came back into fashion because trends are cyclical uh, so we know there was one in the Tower of London in 1447. Um, and technically speaking, this could still be considered the Middle Ages. But like I mentioned before, there's kind of a lot of overlap in where ages start and end. So like 1447 was already also like well into the Renaissance. I mean, so, it's kind of like how 2000 is the end of the 90s. So you have that fashion, but also you start getting into like frosted tips. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Frosted tips. The rack is equivalent of, yeah, it's the Justin Timberlake <laughs> of torture devices. The rack is indeed the Justin Timberlake of torture devices. That actually is a very good metaphor. I wish it wasn't. <laughs> if you think about it in terms of like, Justin Timberlake is quintessentially 2000s and, you know, all of yeah, that. But he came to, to being in, in the 1990s. Mm-hmm. Uh, would that make... <laughs> I can't so, wait to hear where you go with this. Would that make... Like, the Spanish donkey, Lance Bass, like, less heard of, but, like, still pretty notable, but, like, it doesn't get brought out very often. (laughs) Yes. Or maybe it's more of a Chris Kirkpatrick. I don't know. (laughs) That Chris Chris Kirkpatrick is a deep cut. Everyone knows Lance Bass. Did you just call him Lance Bass? Did I? (laughs) It is Lance Bass, isn't it? It's Lance Bass. Look, I rarely hear his name said aloud. Yeah, you know, Lance Bass, Joey Fat One. <laughs> I'm so sorry, Joey is my favorite member. I love Joey. I, I can't think of another funny one. <laughs> of course your favorite is Joey. I loved him at my big fat Greek wedding. Are you kidding? <laughs> Joey Fat One. The best sync boy. <sighs> I love how off the rails this has already gone. 
before we move on, who is your favorite member of the Backstreet Boys? Backstreet Boys? Uh, yeah. Nick Carter, for sure. All right. All right. It's the only one I remember, so I have to imagine that was the one I was obsessed with. You don't remember Brian and Kevin and AJ and the other one? The names all like ring a bell, but like I couldn't I couldn't summon their names from the depths of my brain the way you just did. <laughs> Who the fuck is the fifth one? Nick, AJ, Kevin, Brian, Ricardo? <laughs> Ricky Martin? No. Ooh, uh, I New Kids on the Block. Nick, Kevin, AJ, Brian, Howie. You Howie. Oh my Howie. god, Howie. There's a reason we forgot him. Boy, what a blast from the past that Google was. I'm trying to lighten the mood of the episode based on torture methods. <laughs> Anyways, the rack was Justin Timberlake. The rack was Justin Timberlake in Trends Are Cyclical. Uh, yeah, he's back. Yeah. Uh, so in England, after the medieval ages, the rack was used to torture Protestant martyr Anne Askew before, uh, before she was burnt at the stake. Uh, and she was apparently so damaged by the torture that she had to be carried to her own execution on a chair. That's not the first time I've heard of that happening. If you remember the uh, Devils of Ludon episode, um, they turned that man's legs into spaghetti during torture. Like, he had to have a seat on the stake that they burnt him on. Oh, they did. That's right. Yeah, they had, like, a little jump seat for him. Boy, times were tough back then. Yeah. Um... Catholic martyr Nicholas Owen also died while being tortured on the rack in 1606, and it's believed gunpowder enthusiast Guy Fox was put to the rack as well. Gunpowder enthusiast. <laughs> I, yes, I do believe that's his title on his Wikipedia page. If it isn't, it should be. I was very proud of myself for that joke. You should be. I chuckled to myself as I typed it down. You should not be proud of that, but I'll let you have it. <laughs> okay. Another device that is firmly not medieval is the Scold's Bridle, as teased in our cold open. So yeah, I have no idea what this is. <laughs> Scold's Bridle is unpleasant. Uh, it is. It was an iron muzzle meant to enclose a person's entire head. Uh, some were just like simple iron frameworks. So it have like, you know, it'd go over the top of your head, kind of like a headband. And then you'd have kind of like something going across your forehead and then kind of across your mouth. Um, but it's supposed to have kind of like a little um, metal plate that you would insert into the mouth, either to compress the person's tongue down or to press it up against the palate with the intention of preventing them from speaking. You know, I don't usually advocate for this kind of thing, but like, maybe we should bring that back. It is definitely very uh, man in the iron masky. If you like, look at pictures of it. Um, so it looks very scary. Um, yeah, it reminds me of the jackal from uh, Thirteen Ghosts. Yeah, a little bit. Uh, so while the scold's bridle was used on both men and women, it seems that it was mainly used to punish women that were perceived as being too gossipy or simply, you know, too talkative. Or I'm sure, like women who had opinions on things, got the scold's bridle. What? We yeah. disproportionately punished women with opinions? Yeah. Can you believe it? It's insane. In the old times? Mm, not today. Mm. N never today. Never today. Uh, so not only was the scold's bridle deeply painful and unpleasant to wear, it also served as a form of public humiliation. So like this wasn't, they didn't like take you down to the torture dun dungeon and slap this on. They locked it on you and like sent you about your day. Now go pick up bread from the market in your scold's bridle. I just feel like I wouldn't get anything done. Like, if I'm wearing an uncomfortable pair of pants, I don't like to do anything. <laughs> right? I can't even imagine. 
so the Skolt's Bridal, like the rack, absolutely did exist, um, but the earliest recorded mention of it comes from Scotland in 1567, nearly a full century after the end of the Middle Ages. Oh, just seems like a little late for that kind of yeah. bullshit. Yeah, you would think, wouldn't you? Hmm. Coming to a point with that eventually. Hmm. And I know there are definitely people listening to this right now that are going like, Sarah, you're being way too pedantic and time periods are arbitrary at best. And you're right. Um, but the point I'm trying to make is that it is important to date these things appropriately so we can recognize how relatively recent they are. <laughs> Like, I, I mean, I don't really consider 1500 relatively recent, but like, <laughs> I mean, no, but like in the grand scheme of human history. Yeah. Sure. Uh, I think part of the reason we don't want to that why we want to think of these devices as medieval is because we want to think of them as people things did a thou- pe- things people did a thousand years ago. And we're much more refined and humane now, which is debatable. Uh, but like the Skolt's Bridal and the Rack were used in Britain until well into the 17th century. <laughs> like people were colonizing the new land in the, se- in the 17th century, which is a different issue. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which is also some other bad shit they were doing. But that's just to like make a point of like, you can be terrible in all different kinds of ways. Right. You don't have to be medieval to be super fucked up. <laughs> new t-shirt. I'm, I'm really good at t-shirts. Uh, our next device, this is this is probably the worst one on the list in terms of, like, theoretically, the, at least the torture it was meant to inflict, um, and also in ever existing at all. <laughs> Great. So, uh, the pair of anguish. Oh, no. Uh, is a metal device shaped, as you would expect, uh, sort of like a pear. You know, it's narrow on top and kind of bulges out of the bottom. Uh, it has a latch at its tip, which, when triggered, would cause the device to open, kind of like a like a beautiful flower. I thought you were going to say butt plug for a second, and I was concerned, but now I've said it, so I've cursed this podcast. Well, pin, put a pin in that. Uh, no, God, I'm not putting any pins in that. We haven't well, done Albert Fish yet. Yeah, you, you. So you've already guessed where I'm going with this. Um, the idea behind the pair as a torture device is that it would be inserted to, into a person's mouth. Or um, other bodily orifices. Oh, I hope they washed it in between. (laughs) You would hope. Uh, So this, as you can imagine, would inflict intense pain and tearing uh, that could only be alleviated by screwing the device back shut. Um, The good news is, is this one almost definitely didn't exist. Like, it isn't even like pre-medieval. It's not post-medieval. It just never existed. Um, the earliest recorded mention of the device, again, is from like the late 18th century, and it's kind of vague. It basically just men- mentions like a very well-known criminal in Paris at the turn of the 17th century. Again, so writing about things that happened hundred years, a hundred uh, years yeah, ago. Yeah. But he like he had like a pair-like device. They say, but he used it as like a gag, not a mention of tor- method of torture. <sighs> so. That all being said, there are no, like, contemporary accounts of the pair of anguish being used to torture medieval peasants. Um, the, the device itself did start to, like, pop up in museums in the early 19th century, uh, but they're almost definitely fakes, or at least, like, not what we think they are. So, <laughs> in 2014, this Australian historian, Chris Bishop, he, like, gets this idea, like, I should, I, I want to look into these devices. I want to see how they actually worked. Uh, and it turns out they didn't. So Work? Yeah, so the springs in the device are actually way too weak to open up when faced with any kind of resistance whatsoever. Uh, and the latch itself isn't located in a spot that you could actually, like, reach when it's inside anything. Ah. 
So there's that. Well, that's <laughs> good. Couldn't actually work. Uh, so his theory is that the device could have maybe been some kind of like surgical instrument, like maybe something like a dentist would use to keep people's mouths open, which still sounds terrible, but isn't torture n- nominally. Um, he also yeah. supposes it could have been something entirely innocuous, like a sock stretcher. That just sounds like a, an elderly, like, grandparents, like, oh, yes, you forgot your sock stretch. Like, probably not, sir. It's definitely like a shoehorn. My grandma had those. Oh, yeah, those those do exist. Actually, thinking about it now, those would be actually pretty handy. A shoehorn? I don't have a shoehorn, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, actually, that would help me put my... Uh, Birkenstocks on a little easier. <laughs> I have ones with the strap. I'm not just, I'm not having problems with the slide in shoe. I just want to make that very clear for everybody. <laughs> like, I think it's something like my, I have like Chelsea boots and like those are always like a struggle to put on because you gotta Ugh. like get your foot in at the right angle and like pull them up and like be helpful to have a shoehorn in situations like that. But I am in my 30s. I'm very old. I love how we're discussing, you know, the pair of anguish. And then it's like, you know, it's hard putting <laughs> shoes on. You know, it's really torture. The horrors of aging. <laughs> I mean, that too. So uh, our last device of this episode is going to be the infamous Iron Maiden, uh, which, spoiler alert, was just completely made up. For like selling band shirts or like? Basically, yeah. Uh, So I actually, I wrote, I think I did like a quick little story about this when I was in Germany last year, because I was at the Medieval Torture Museum in uh, Rothenburg, and they had an Iron Maiden, um, because they do exist, sort of. For sure. So the first written record of an Iron Maiden appears in, of course, an 18th century travel guide to the German city of Nuremberg, uh, written by a man named Johann Philipp Siebenkies. Sebenkis. Yeah. Sebenkis. He's We're- not going to email us. Pronounce it however you want. Sebenkis. <laughs> We're going to call him. Sebenkis. 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 It sounds silly no matter what way you say it. So we're just going to yeah, probably switch them out once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> so in his book, Sebenkis describes the execution of a convicted coin forger in the year 1515, uh, in which the condemned was enclosed inside a human-shaped box, not unlike an Egyptian sarcophagus. That's kind of what they look like. For some reason, my brain is refusing to picture what an actual Iron Maiden looks like, and it's just conjuring up images of, like, a Mrs. Butterworth's bottle shape (laughs) with a hinge. I mean, sort of. It's kind of man-shaped. No skirt. But you're in the right idea. It's got a hinge. It's like a box. Uh, So the interior would be lined with sharp spikes cut to such a precise length that they would pierce a person's body, but not immediately kill them. Uh, so they instead would be left to slowly bleed out over time. Um, now that you say it like this, the, the logistics sound um, impossible. Silly? Yeah. <laughs> so um, as far as we know, Spenke straight up invented this story outright. Like if we're being generous, maybe someone in the city actually told him this gruesome tale and he recorded it without questioning if it was true, which is probably just as bad. What is he, fucking R.L. Stein Just <laughs> scaring the kids? Uh, so yeah, there's no evidence anything remotely similar to the Iron Maiden was actually in use during medieval times. And even the story in Sebenki's books takes place after the close of the Middle Ages. It's 1550. <laughs> the only mention of anything remotely similar is a description of a device used by the Carthaginians in the 3rd century BC, which is basically like a wooden box that you had like pounded a bunch of nails into 
Like the chokey. Like the chokey. Exactly like the chokey. Because it was just like, (laughs) you wanted to get the person to like sit or stand up like straight and like be very still. Yeah, it wasn't about killing them or like actually piercing them with the nails. It was just like making them very uncomfortable. Granted, is torture, but it isn't. It's a different Quite kind. so gruesome, yeah. Uh, however, like Smenke's book, this account was also written centuries after the fact and could, for all we know, be just as much of, as a legend as the Iron Maiden. I will say the thing I dislike about doing this whole episode, like besides the describing gruesome tortured part, mm-hmm. um, is it just made me doubt every episode I've ever written. <laughs> so I'm like, maybe everything just is made up. I mean... I also had this, like, crisis of faith um, <laughs> when I was when I was doing um, pretty much any historical episode, but Neanderthals yeah. specifically, because I'm like, we don't fucking know. We just have what other people have said. Like, that doesn't mean shit. And I don't know. Sometimes you just have to trust the process. Yeah. I will say I went to at least one source that I have used previously, and I won't name the source. I won't be using them again, for sure. What are you going to deep throat for your information? (laughs) But they had like a list of torture devices from the medieval ages, and the Iron Maiden was on the list. And I'm like, this is the most obvious one. Like, this is the one everybody knows about, and it's still on your list. No one can never trust you again. So this episode has ruined research for me. This is going to make me sound like a sociopath, which I'm used to at this point. I mean, so does most of this podcast, but... Did you come across the Spanish donkey in your... No. And I would love for you to talk about it after I'm done describing the Iron Maiden. Of course. Still going with the Iron Maiden. There's still more lies that we need to uncover. Oh, yeah. We've still got a little bit. So so many more lies. So the reason the Iron Maiden, like, became a thing. So, like, after Sabenki's published his travel guide, Iron Maidens just began to pop up in museums around Europe. Like, they were like, oh... This was a thing. Let's put it in our museum, uh, including the one that was allegedly used in the execution in Nuremberg. Uh, that was destroyed in the course of an Allied bombing in 1944, like most of Germans, uh, most of Germany. <laughs> well, I mean, but historians, even at that time, were already pretty sure that one was fake. Um, like all the others, it had been created in the early 18th century by con artists who, like, you know, P.T. Barnum types, who would put <laughs> them on display and then charge people to see them. They don't call him the greatest showman for nothing, Sarah. <laughs> uh, there was, interestingly, there was one on display at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893. Um, so you have to imagine H.H. H. Holmes really got a kick out of that one. Yeah, we're going to call it got a kick out of it. Yeah, there's actually no single surviving example of an Iron Maiden that can be dated any earlier than 1802. I mean, at this point, they are still historical uh, artifacts, which just technically, just not the way you'd think. Yeah. So none of this is to say that torture didn't exist in the Middle Ages, because it absolutely did. Uh, The medieval view on torture was that most people were only ever truly honest when they were in pain. Uh, So torture was legal and could be used to extract confessions from suspected criminals under the justification that only by confessing their sins could their soul be saved from an eternity in hell. Oh yeah, just because we didn't use that shit doesn't mean like they weren't torturing ladies that they thought were witches. Yeah, they just, they weren't that creative about it. Like most of it was like binding people with ropes. Yeah, and uh, again, the in the Devils of Ludon uh, situation, uh, they had the wedges that they... I think I described it in there, but like they had 
like wooden wedges that they would pound in and basically crush your legs with them. Like it wasn't oh, rocket science. Yeah. Ugh, gross. Um, what was the Spanish donkey? I, you have to tell me about that one. Um, I mean, it's not great. So uh, apparently there's two versions. Oh, lovely. Um, this is just from Wikipedia. I did not prepare this. Um, so a, a wooden horse, a Chevrolet, or however you would pronounce that with Spanish flair, Spanish donkey, or the cavaletto, is a torture device of which there exist two variations. Both inflict pain using the subject's own weight by keeping the legs open, tied with ropes from above while lowering down the subject. Mm, yep. No, I understand. I, I get where this is going. Um, so yeah, ba- basically, it is a uh, a wooden triangle on legs, like a little horsey. Yeah, a cute little horse, like a little Sebastian. Yes, like little Sebastian or Dan Patch, um, <laughs> American hero Dan Patch, uh, and they 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 put you on the horsey, and then they uh, add weights to your legs that they just keep adding weights. So your legs are being pulled down towards the ground, and basically the point of the triangle just goes right up the devil's highway or the taint. That sounds fun. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it's it's if it's a real thing or not. Um, I haven't read that far in the Wikipedia article. It sounds unpleasant. I wouldn't like it. <laughs> Let's hope. Yes, it's I fake. think that could be said of like most things in this episode. I mean, none of them are great. I could do like fifteen minutes on the rack just to like work out some kinks on uh, in my back in my back. Yeah, I feel like for the first little bit, the rack would actually be like really just nice. You get like a real good stretch. Um, and then your tendons rip apart. <laughs> yes, and the joints and all of that. Um, oh, a punishment similar to the Spanish donkey called riding the rail was used during the American colonial period and later, where the victim was often carried through town on, you know, like a triangular device, um, often in conjunction with the punishment of tarring and feathering. And I quote directly from the Wikipedia article, the crotch could be injured and the victim left unable to walk without pain. <laughs> Boy, people are great. <laughs> Colonial period. These are just, yeah. Uh, yeah, speaking of. So better examples of medieval torture, um, maybe besides the Spanish donkey, uh, <laughs> would be stocks and pillories, which I'm sure you've heard of. Unimaginative, so were, but effective. <laughs> yeah, restraining. these were restraining devices used as punishment, but they were more focused on public humiliation than, like, pain. So, like, there were stocks, which would restrain, restrain a person at their ankles. They were typically used on vagabonds and drunkards, which are BBC's words, not <laughs> mine. Uh, and were meant to hold them in place while people threw, like, rotten vegetables okay, at Okay, I was them. just going to ask if that was, like, actually a thing. Yeah. Uh, and then pillories, which is the device most people think of when they think of stocks. This is the one that has, like, the hinged wooden boards, and you, like, clamp them down over the neck and then the wrists. So they're kind of, like, bent over in the middle of the town square. Um, yeah, those are usually placed in marketplaces or crossroads, like, spaces that would get a lot of foot traffic and thus increase the visibility of the punishment. There would usually be some sort of, like, they'd make a sign telling everybody what the person had done to wind up there. So, like, it's not fun. Uh, they could certainly be painful. They were definitely uncomfortable. Um, but, like, the pain wasn't the point. No one was trying to get them to confess to anything. It was just kind of to humiliate you. Um, the punishment itself usually only lasted a few hours, though, depending on the crowd, it could be deeply unpleasant. Um, some sentenced to the pillory would be whipped or have their heads shaved. And in some cases, in some cases, the crowd could turn violent, pelting the offending criminal with stones and bricks. 
Um, the most of the time, it was usually rotten food, mud, and shit. Yeah, I mean, imagine if you threw a brick at someone whose head was just a target and it killed them, you would probably be liable for murder, even yeah, in Yeah, they'd the- probably be like, that's not cool, actually. Um just tomatoes we'll just take man. this guy out and put you in <laughs> everybody saw it it's a down square uh so the pillory it should be noted didn't disappear along with the middle ages it remained in use in europe well into the 19th century uh it was particularly popular in the american colonies and was in use in delaware as late as 1902 yeah didn't they used to put witches in it yep Okay, I don't know uh, if I was actually thinking about a real thing or just an episode of Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Uh, it's maybe ironic that most of our modern-day perceptions of how terrible everyone was in the Middle Ages came about in the 18th and 19th century. Uh, so people at this time, they just wanted, I th- and every time, honestly, but especially here, um, they wanted to think of themselves as enlightened, and that encourages this perception that the people of the Middle Ages were just so much more brutal, so whatever they do is totally fine in comparison. It's like, it's very much the same energy people bring when they say things like, well, women couldn't even vote 100 years ago, so I have no idea why you're all still complaining. Just because you don't do a thing anymore doesn't mean that the current situation is good. Yes, correct. We don't stone gays in the street anymore, but they should probably be able to be left alone. Yeah, we maybe shouldn't be like everything that's happening now. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than end on a bummer. Um, we're going to throw in one last bonus torture device for fun. Cannot wait. So if you Google Spanish Tickler, oh, no. um, or its alternate name, the Cat's Paw, you're going to get a bunch of articles about this terrible claw-shaped metal instrument, sometimes placed at the end of a long staff. Um, and in function, it was supposed to function as an extension of the torturer's hand. It was meant to tear through a victim's flesh. It's really just a sharp, pointy claw on a stick. Um, except, surprise, <laughs> never existed. Um, the fun part, because all of this is fun. Please tell me um, it was a BDSM thing. Uh, it isn't an 18th century hoax. It was not a BDSM thing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a modern hoax. It was made up in 2005 by an editor on Wikipedia who created a whole page for it. Great. Uh, <laughs> it's since been removed, and the archived page is clearly listed as a hoax, but not before it could be copy-pasted across the entire internet. Um, so that's fun. Again, I doubt everything. Yeah, this is really just an episode about finding reliable sources. So that's fun. Oh, yeah. Um, Love it. Yep. I doubt everything I'll ever write from here on out, but at least the Iron Maiden wasn't real. (laughs) I don't have any jokes about the band. I don't listen to them enough to have good jokes about the band. No, I'm sorry. Though you did just inspire me to make the teaser of this. episode in metal font so oh make it unreadable no that's more of a black metal thing <laughs> i i do wonder if canva has one of those we'll have to we'll find out i thought you said canada i'm like i'm sure canada <laughs> has metal bands i isn't no slipknot's not from canada i'm gonna go to jail for saying that now <laughs> i'm sure sadie will tell us a whole bunch she's probably gonna make some up that we've literally <laughs> never heard of Slipknot's from Iowa. It would be on theme. Of course they're from Iowa. I'd feel like that too if I had to live in Iowa. Yeah, I feel like um, most of the, the shittiest of, uh, yeah, Insane Cloud and Posse's from Michigan. Yep. I'm pretty sure Linkin Park is from uh, Illinois. It's like how, you know how all the astronauts are from Ohio? 
Uh, Lincoln Park is from California, so my uh, bad on that one. But is it the like the nice part of California? Mm, it's on. It's in Los Angeles County. Oh uh, yeah. Oh oh my god! It's like a rich neighborhood. Of course it is. Being rich does make you angry. <laughs> and that's why I only listen to good Charlotte. <laughs> Their dad left, and they've been sad about it for like thirty years. Love it literally what their first two albums are about just simply their dad leaving yep well well it's I mean, not like sad. they could go to therapy they grew up in the 90s that's true we didn't go to therapy in the 90s we didn't it was not cool kids these days god. with their therapy and talking about their feelings how dare they god i was watching something yesterday where i was like none of this would have happened if you guys just went to therapy <laughs> I mean, that's like most TV shows and like movies, I think. Yeah. Uh, it's either like this wouldn't happen if you went to therapy or my least favorite genre, which is usually like teen drama, where it's like this wouldn't happen if you would just say something to the other person. <laughs> if you just communicated like an adult. But I guess that's teenagers for you. That's why I can't watch stuff like with teens. Because it's like, <laughs> but I like Joey, but Joey doesn't know I exist. Then fucking say hi to Joey, man. I don't know what to tell you. Are you serious? Some people have real problems. <laughs> Some people had to experience the pair of anguish. Probably not. <laughs> and then say some people have real problems is like the entire plot of the OC. I had to tap out after like a season and a half of the OC. I'm like, Marissa, that's not a fucking problem. The, the, the OC is only good in season one. And I say this as someone who like loves the OC season one. The rest of the seasons are not worth it. It's like Gossip Girl's complete trash after season three, but I've, yeah. you know, I refuse to watch the new one. No. I assume their problems are even less problems. It also, like, got canceled already, I think, so why bother? Oh, that's, I don't know, whatever. Euphoria, those kids have problems. <laughs> I think. I don't know. I can't watch Euphoria either. I'm too old. Yeah, I'm way too old. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's why I haven't started Succession yet. Like, I get it. Like, I know it's a good show. In my in my heart, I know it's a funny and a good show. But it's like, y'all are so rich, and you're just mad because your daddy doesn't want to give you the rest of the money. <laughs> the whole show is, yeah, literally just like, who wants I a want kiss? I want daddy's money. Who wants a kiss from daddy? It's not, just the, it's not just the money, though. It's the approval of the daddy. You want daddy's approval. And attention. I don't like that you called Brian Cox the daddy, because <laughs> everyone knows that's Pedro Pascal. You're right. Business daddy. Business daddy? New mug. <laughs> Business daddy. With a picture of a pair of anguish for no reason. <laughs> business, but the I in business is a tie. <laughs> this episode is a fucking train wreck. <laughs> Do you expect anything less? No. Jesus. Okay. Um, well, on the subject of, of Business Daddy, <laughs> you can now purchase radioactive Foxy Grandpa mugs from our Redbubble <laughs> store. You're welcome. My only wish is that we had the ability to make them glow in the dark. If only. Redbubble, get if, on that. If only. Um... But yes, you can pick up that. You can pick up your Jeff merch. You must pick up your Jeff merch. Yes, I just received my Jeff shirt in the mail, and I can say unequivocally, it looks amazing printed on a purple t-shirt. So there you go. That's my recommendation. Get your Jeff on a purple t-shirt. 
I got compliments on it at the doctor. Oh, that's lovely. What what did they think it was? <laughs> well, she asked what it said, and then I was like, I am the fifth dimension. I'm like, it's a ghost mongoose. And she's like, oh, that's cute. So, <laughs> I mean, that's a fairly good description of it. Yeah. I didn't really get into the whole lore of Jeff. <laughs> that That's a little much for the doctors. Well, that's my new podcast, The Lore of Jeff, um, where I just sit in a recording booth talking in a monotone voice. I'm sorry. My apologies to Aaron Mankey. That was mean. Um, if you know of any good torture devices, we are on Instagram and Facebook at Afternoonified. And I meant to say Twitter instead of Facebook, although I do think we have a Facebook. No. Oh, absolutely not. We deleted that like ages ago. Now, I think we had to remake it for some reason because we couldn't use a feature without it. Um, I think it exists, but we definitely don't post anything there. Anyway, we're on Instagram, which is uh, the best place to find us. Yes. Um, at Afternoonified. Uh, you can also find us at getafternoonified.com where you can find links to our merch store, old episodes. There's an email form or you can just email us at afternoonifiedpod at gmail.com. Uh, remember to rate, subscribe, review, buy your Foxy Grandpa mug, and keep an eye out for Business Daddy mugs. <laughs> it's the season of merch. Yes, and is indeed. This just... episode's going to be like 20 minutes long by the time I edit out all of the complete bullshits. <laughs> Isn't that most episodes? Oh, uh, make sure to uh, let us know who your favorite Backstreet Boy is. Oh, yeah, very important. Okay, goodbye. <laughs> goodbye. We love you. We'll be back like the Backstreet Boys. <laughs> All right. For more podcasts like the one you just listened to, go to sobelowmedia.com. This this is as above so below.